high libido lifestyle. That is the name of today's little wee transmission, high libido lifestyle. So for today's wee clip, I want to give some uh, tips, dietary as well as lifestyle, that will help cultivate a high libido. Because most of the information out there that uh, Big Z is uh, serving up, doling out to people, is the antithesis of a high libido as well as just getting caught up in all the uh, snares and storylines and narratives. All of that can do a nosedive on one's libido. I remember during the height of Oyed AI talking to many people online and a lot of them saying that the whole, you know, kosher theater and uh, just whole thing of Oyed AI had really been a libido killer, which I'm not surprised to hear. That was definitely a buzz kill. But anywho, some good topics today in regards to a high libido and it's the first little transmission slash show of February. I'm taking a hike. It's uh, it's pretty cool out today. Sunny, a good day to be alive of course. So nutrients and of course having good blood flow are major aspects of having a healthy sexuality and a healthy libido. It's what you eat, it's when you eat, it's how much you eat, and all these things could affect your sexuality, your well-being, your mood, your energy levels, just like many other things out there can do the same, but today we're going to be focusing on this. So a high libido diet consists of foods that give you energy and eliminate foods that take your energy. And most of the foods that Big Z promotes are foods that take people's energy. A lot of these supplements out there, of course, also take people's energy, tax their liver. They end up paying for expensive piss. This, of course, is even more true when it comes to medicines and things like that. So to experience consistent and strong sexual desire, you need energy. Energy, of course, is key. Vril, prana, chi, right? So high libido foods, what would those be? Well, of course, eating seasonal to where one lives would be kind of a no-brainer type of thing. Nowadays, because of globalization or whatever word you want to use to describe that, we can get dragon fruit in January in New York. And maybe that's kind of novel and, and groovy, but it's really not ancestral and it's not seasonal. And it's always more affordable and tastier to eat seasonal. So eating seasonal fruit would be one thing. For me here, living in the Northeast, that would be something like... Um, Apples, that would definitely be something that's seasonal. Wow, I thought I was just not recording for a second. So yeah, I am recording. So apples, something like that would be seasonal. And of course, I like to do no peels and no skins. There's been a trend since about the 90s or so that um, we should eat everything with the peel and the seed. Um, no, that's where most of the anti-nutrients in fruits or vegetables would be. Plus the seeds and the skins are very hard to digest. So a high libido food would be eating seasonal fruits. So here, like I said, in the Northeast, it'd be something like apples, peeled apples. Even sometimes you can get grapes around this year. They're not hyper seasonal, but I like those too. Green grapes I'm talking about because they are uh, low A. Just another level of or layer of consideration, thinking about all these different layers when it comes to food and nutrition and, and well-being and ancestral wisdom. We have to look at it from really a panoramic perspective to really understand how all of these things uh, can affect somebody. 
Number two would be having healthy uh, lipids in the diet. And the trend these days in many of the diets has been to go really, really heavy on the lipids, really heavy, especially in more of the animal-based diets that do these kind of ketotic diets, which I don't think really we had the uh, the resources, at, you know, ancestrally speaking, to be able to sustain a diet like that. Can it be done in certain times for, I guess, convenience or for whatever people are doing, short-term weight loss, etc.? Yeah, but long-term, that's not really a sustainable way to go about things. And too many lipids can uh, impede blood flow. And when you have no blood flow, how are you going to get aroused in the first place? So healthy lipids would be things like the lipids or the fats that are already within foods, like the fats that are already within, you know, meats and fishes and eggs and certain dairies, um, a little bit of butter or ghee, olive oil. These are kind of, you know, what one would want to be eating and even some nuts, not a huge amount, but that could also be part of someone's diet. And I guess avocado and olives could be up there, but you wouldn't want to gorge on those things. I remember they're not necessarily hyper seasonal right now, just giving kind of like a, a broad-based perspective of this. And you'd want to, of course, trim back on the unhealthy lipids. We've talked about this ad nauseum. The seed or the pufa oils, um, shortening, of course, would fall into that category. Eating foods that are, that are fried, uh, it's always best to get the fat from the food innately and maybe use like a wee bit of oil in the cooking process. Maybe when you're steaming some vegetables, a little bit of olive oil or butter on top. And I've really come to uh, love and understand and know that using less is actually more. You don't want to drown your vegetables or anything else in like heaps of lipids. Like I know a lot of these popular programs are telling everyone to do that. That's not a wise move. And especially if you're eating the vitamin A rich vegetations and then dousing it in lipids, that's going to make it more absorbable into your diet. That's why sometimes people who do the fruvigory uh, thing where they're only eating fruit, typically a lot of it being tropical fruit that's high in, in beta carotene, they're less likely to get a toxic because they're not really taking in any additional fat. They're having the fat maybe from coconut or avocado or olives, which are all technically fruits, but they're not loading on like, I think the Weston A. Price Foundation is like telling you to like coat your vegetables with heaps of butter. I remember when Sally Fallon came to my school, she said to put an entire stick of butter into one's oatmeal, which I just think is an absolute zoggler. I personally couldn't consume something like that. Oats on their own are actually the grain that has, I think, the most amount of intrinsic fat. So why would you need to do something like that, right? I think oats taste really swell with just a sprinkling of a flaky salt and a wee drizzle of maple syrup. And then you have it with something like eggs and sausage and you're fine with your lipids. You don't have to go crazy thinking about adding all this its stuff. And of course, that gets pretty expensive for using a, a shit ton of butter every day in your food. So just to recap so far, seasonal fruits are good for the libido. Of course, peel them, take the seeds out if that's an option, and getting healthy lipids, but not going uh, hog wild or more likely zog wild with the lipids. Something else is very important for having a high libido is getting enough protein, something we've talked about many times on the broadcast. A lot of people, of course, fall short on this. It's the easiest macronutrient to fall short on. Very easy to OD on the carbohydrates and the lipids, but very easy to go low on the proteins. And of course, when I'm talking about protein, 
I'm talking about animal proteins, things like beans, which are real groovy, that would be a carbohydrate and a soluble fiber. It's not a protein. So for proteins, meats, fishes, eggs, etc. I think dairy should more be treated as something that's an addendum to a diet than a major source of protein, especially since so many people tend to not do well with the casein, especially women, it seems, tend to put on a very large amount of weight when they're eating a lot of the casein-rich foods. And at first they may say, oh, it's the fat. So they'll get rid of the high-fat dairy and then they'll start doing the low-fat dairy and they're like, it's the same problem because it's the casein. It's not, it's not the lipids. So when I think about protein, when I'm kind of forming my meals for the day, I'm mainly focusing on uh, flesh foods. I'm focusing on the animal meats, the land meats, the sea meats, eggs, a little bit of collagen, gelatin, you know, bone broths, wiggly jiggly broths, etc. And then using the dairy as kind of like a supplemental thing, maybe a cup of yogurt, maybe a little bit of butter or ghee or something like that. Because I think when one takes in too much dairy, which from a TCM perspective would be cooling and damp. You don't want a lot of cooling foods if you want to have a fiery crotch. It makes total sense. Then we want to make sure we're getting carbohydrates. We don't want to go zog wild on the carbohydrates. We don't want to go too low that we get uh, weak feelings or dizzy feelings. A lot of people these days who went too low on the carbohydrates, now they're trying to reintroduce them in. It becomes a very difficult endeavor. Even something like eating an apple can make someone feel not well because they've induced insulin resistance by eating these very high fat diets, which sometimes end up being low in protein as well as carbohydrates. So it's good to get carbohydrates from high quality grains properly prepared. I like things like barley, a little bit of white rice. I like the Haiga rice, which is a, like a 50-50 brown white rice. You can do brown rice, oats. Uh, I really like buckwheat quite a lot, or what they call kasha, roasted buckwheat in Eastern Europe and Russia. That's a great grain, especially in the cold climates. Rye is amazing. Most people aren't talking about these things because there's so much foul press about beans and grains and the whole anti-nutrient thing. But I would say those are some good carbohydrates to have. Obviously, staying away from sodas and sports beverages and energy beverages. I would even say to stay away from um, juice. I don't really think that those are whole or complete foods. I'd rather see someone eating a piece of fruit. Of course, staying away from the sugary things like the candies and the cookies. If you are going to eat that, I highly suggest making it yourself, finding some good recipes out there, maybe combing the White Wellness cooking page, because a lot of the sweets out there, even if they're packaged and they're touting themselves as natural, or all zio sludge. You could also use starchy vegetations for carbohydrates, maybe things like um, potatoes and white carrots and, and parsnips, etc. Some of the fruits, the sweeter fruits, um, most of those are probably going to be more on the tropical tip, so that can kind of be like a little bit of a treat in the diet or more for the, uh, the warmer months. You can do some of the berries if you like. The berries get their color from, I believe it's... Uh, not remembering right now, something else besides the, um, besides vitamin A, but of course berries have a lot of seeds and that can be problematic for some people. So you might want to do something where you cook them and you take the, the seeds out. You can do other vegetables. You can do things like, uh, I'm thinking it's some of my favorite vegetables right now. I really like cauliflower. I like zucchini. I'm really liking green beans too. For years I hated green beans, but I really like the Hercouvert, which are the little thin, uh, skinny French green beans. Those are fantastic. 
daikon radish is really good too when you cook it it tastes almost like a potato that's really good for kind of cleansing out um, fat and grease from the body so is lotus root which is another um, asian vegetable which is really good for for lung cleansing and respiratory health so vegetables really are a medicinal thing but when we have this whole thing happening with the rainbow and everything it really becomes very um kind of inverted because people are doing these uh, regimes where they're taking in massive quantity of these, you know, rainbow kind of more medicinal, if you will, vegetations. And then they basically completely distort everything else by taking in this humongous load. And it's become such a staple in, in so many diets these days. I was just reading this little magazine that I got at the local grocery store, a monthly magazine of, you know, making recipes and stuff. Every single recipe, first of all, to me, it doesn't appetize me in the least. I look at it and I say, there's nothing I'd make on this page. I've got to rip the recipe out. I've got to make, you know, 10, 10 modifications on it, and then I'll be able to do something. I could always see the good in something and see how I can kind of, you know, alchemize it and make it a lot more savory. But every dish is just like tons of tomatoes, tons of spices, um, tons of green vegetation. It's, it's insane. No one ever ate like this before. I mean, these are abominations to me, this type of, of eating. It's basically what people call the zog slop or the goy slop, but they're trying to um, market it as like healthy and, you know, quick and trendy or whatever. So that's something else you want to think about with carbohydrates. Um, let's see, we talked about carbohydrates, we talked about vegetables, we talked about fruits, we talked about protein. I think we've pretty much covered it all in regards to that. Um, and yeah, gluten, that's something that will be unsavory for some people. Okay, so just, I just got interrupted for a second. Yeah, so talking about all of these foods, the benefits for one's libido, we were talking about grains at the, um, the end of that bit right there before I got cut off, talking about possibly gluten grains causing some issues for some people. Of course, like I've said on many shows, even last show, it's not just the gluten or the wheat. It's, it's many a factor, but if you want to see a higher libido, you might want to uh, experiment with um, lessening gluten or at least lessening the gluten that you get outside the house because most of it is going to be absolute sludge. And beans, or soluble fiber in general, is really important, I think, for libido because we need some source of soluble fiber, not insoluble. Vegetables are insoluble fiber. And interestingly enough, when a bean is sprouted, it also becomes insoluble. So it's not going to clean the system in the same way than um, a non-sprouted bean. And if you look in the store, the trend these days is everything is sprouted, right? And they're charging you more money for it. Hmm. Sounds like that could possibly be a psyop. And of course, there are a lot of people who are strapped on time or not aware of how to cook beans. I've heard before that people are most intimidated by, I think, cooking three things. Pie, because of the crust. Beans and fish, which I kind of find to be mind-zoggling because I think all those things are really easy to cook, actually, especially beans. I mean, the pie crust may take a little bit of time, you know, the chilling and the rolling it out and all of that, the fish, depending on its, its thickness and how you're cooking it, but beans are very, very easy to cook. Soak them, rinse them, 
cover them with water, throw in a bay leaf, and simmer until they're tender. Maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half, maybe two hours, depending on how big the beans are, how fresh they are. But it's really important to be able to have something in the diet that is a source of soluble fiber that will help shuttle out the uh, old excess hormones, uh, toxins in the feces out of the system. And you'll be a lot calmer and cooler and collected when you add the beans to your diet. If you look around the world, essentially every culture has a bean dish, just, just like um, every culture has some type of, of raw meat dish, right? So we all have these, these dishes, we have these uh, interpretations of the dish that's going to be very different than, than other people, like we can say a lentil or a chickpea. How different is it going to be utilized in all these different cuisines across the world? Very, very differently. And it's also interesting to note that the most long-lived cultures with the most longevity consumed beans. They are a food that keep well, too, so a good uh, kind of apocalyptic uh, pantry staple right there, whether they're dried or even if they're in the can or the tin. So beans are part of a high libido diet because we need to get those excess stress hormones and toxins out of the system if we want to be horny, obviously, right? Makes total sense. And typically the longer we go on in our years and the older we get, the more of those toxins we have built up. It's very easy to become uh, overloaded with things these days, even for the younger set, because there's so many assaults. Most people get vaxxed to the hilt. The diets are just shit from the start right? So there's a lot of factors that come into this, but if you're eating fresh food, high protein, being conscious of vitamin A, uh, getting enough carbohydrates, getting some uh, soluble fibers, a little bit of vegetation and fruits in there, you're going to be feeling pretty good. And when you increase the amount of poop that you're making, you're going to be pooping out toxins. If anyone's ever been like in a, a foul or a shitty mood or maybe you have a headache or you just kind of feel like whatever, and then you take a poop and, and all of that vanishes. So in a way, the detoxification can kind of move the excess emotions out of your system. You may even have old emotions come up while you're cleaning them out, like literally the mindset that you were in, that was the toxins within somebody, right? And there's so much gaslighting that goes on with the, with the health these days, telling people that their body is attacking themselves, the quote, autoimmune diseases, telling people that they have some type of, you know, uh, one nutrient is off and that's why everything else is causing a problem. Like there's a lot of health gaslighting these days. And I think some people are well-meaning and some are just probably on, on big Z's dole. But at this, at this stage in the game, if someone's really a shill or someone's just giving shilled out information, it's essentially the same, unfortunately. So those are some tips right there from the food perspective of how to stay healthy, how to stay um, virile, right? It's, it's a good thing to have desire, right? Not just desire for food, but desire for, for sex, which is the creation of life, essentially, even if you're not doing it for that reason. And if you're not doing it for the actual creation of life, you're still creating an energy between the two parties, which is a life-giving energy. Or if it's with someone who's like a succubus or a vampire, you could have your vril, prana, chi, etc. fleeced by someone during the lovemaking process. So you always want to make sure to avoid vampires in the bedroom. And outside the bedroom of two, of course. 
So that was the uh, segment about what we should be eating for high libido. And now there's more than just that. Uh, getting sun, especially in the morning, can be very helpful, as well as movement and exercise, which of course will affect our hormones, our neurotransmitters, the nervous system, and in turn pushes blood flow down there to the genitals, right? More blood circulation leads to quicker arousal and more pleasurable sensation. So if someone's got a lot of stagnation in the system, whether you want to call it key stagnation, cholestasis, whatever you want to call it, that person's probably not going to be feeling so horny because their blood circulation, their vascularity is going to be off. And as we see in the Western modalities, when people tend to get on in their years, they tend to develop these circulatory or blood issues. Sometimes it has to deal with the lungs. Sometimes it has to deal with the, with the heart. But there's usually some lack of flow going on. And without movement, the inner workings of your body become stagnant and soulless, which of course, Big Z loves this, hand rubbing intensifies. A stagnant soulless body cannot experience pleasure. These are going to be the kind of people who are looking for the quick fixes that Big Z is so happy to provide. Just 15 minutes of moving your body can boost sexual arousal by 150%. Well, that's good to know. So what are some activities that you can do to uh, boost your libido. Here are some ideas right here. You can do some uh, lifting, like some weighted squats, which can do magic for sex hormones, intimate well-being, and confidence in the bedroom. They can help with increased lubrication, better fertility, balanced menstrual cycles. A weighted squat works a number of large muscle groups at once when done in intervals. Um, with other exercises, they improve, improve blood flow to the pelvic area. And the more blood flow down there, the easier it is for orgasmic pleasure to spread um, to your intimate waters to flow. So getting flow in that area. Squats are really important for opening up that hip area, whether they're weighted or not. You can even do stuff like the yoga stuff, like malasana, which is the yogi squat. Just opening up that whole area. That's really, really important. A lot of people have a lot of tightness in their hips. You can really change the way you feel mentally when you open up that hip area. Something else could be um, what some people call a Kegel, even though I'm not really too keen on what the Kegels are. I guess they'd call it Mulabandha from like the Kundalini or the yoga perspective. It's a squeezing of the, uh, the anal or the genital muscles, sometimes done with something like a yoni egg, uh, for ladies of course, or sometimes done without it. They call this in... Um, the TCM modalities, internal exercises. That's something that's not too well um, spoken about in the, uh, the health milieus. I think I've mentioned on the, on the shows before, but it's basically uh, strengthening and softening the muscles of the uh, anus and the genitals. The pelvic muscles sit around your intimate area and majorly affect your intimate experiences. When a woman is not physically active, her pelvic muscles get weaker. And this may be what some people refer to as, quote, loose, right? It's not actually that the person is loose, like, hello, hello, hello. It's not like it's a loose thing like that, like a hallway. It's loose because there's weakness. This weakness means the muscles cannot contract enough to help a woman experience orgasms and pleasure, thus contributing to vaginal dryness, intimate pain, low libido, and other intimate issues. And these issues aren't just affecting women who are who are older. There are women in their 20s who are dealing with this. And it could be for many, many reasons, but we don't want to be 
tight and we don't want to be loose. We want to have this flexibility and malleability of the yoni. I think that makes sense. And of course, if someone has a penis, they want to be able to have that strength in their penis and have its full muscular uh, potential, of course, that would be helping if they had good blood flow, right? That's why people are doing things like Viagra and Cialis and all of these things, because they're trying to mimic blood flow that they're not getting there. The good news is that when you use a muscle, it strengthens, whether it's your bicep or your uh, your genital or anal muscles, it, stre it strengthens. Even people who are dealing with vascular issues like hemorrhoids, that's because the tissue is lax. So there are even exercises you can do to tone up your rectal area so you won't have to deal with a vascular issue like hemorrhoids. So you want to do these exercises to both balance strength and relaxation. Both are important for arousal and pleasure. So it's, a, it's an intimate dance of strength and relaxation. And finally, something called power shaking. This is pretty groovy. Oftentimes you'll see like at the end of a kundalini kriya, they'll, um, they'll engage the uh, person with shaking, actually shaking and moving the energy around the body. It's a super powerful way. It's super powerful in so many ways for your sexuality and everyday life. It's an ancient practice. It has been linked to trauma release, sexual healing, stronger libido, erotic liberation, and spiritual empowerment. All you have to do is shake your whole body. Put on some tunes, shake your body for a minimum of 10 minutes. To try shaking to the next level, shake nude or in your underwear. So these are some basic ideas that you can just take and uh, apply if you're looking to cultivate a higher libido. Remember that your spirituality is intimately connected to your sexuality. I think that's one of the reasons that we see such a lack of real, true spirituality in this world because people are not connected to their sexuality. And then we have religion, which has done a real mindfuck on people and separated sex from sexual, separated sexuality from spirituality and told people that if they did have sexuality, they had no spirituality, which of course uh, is an inversion. The complete opposite is actually true. Sexuality is a spiritual experience. So that's all for today on this little wee transmission about the high libido lifestyle. Some groovy tips right there from the exercise and movement perspective, as well as what foods would serve you if you want to create groovy blood flow. And having a high libido isn't just about wanting to make love. It's about feeling the energy and essence and, and zest and zip of being alive. So that's all for today. I wish everyone uh, a lovely day wherever they are in this big white world. Until we meet again. Satnam.